There it is, baby boomers and, and Generation X. Watch, we can watch our phones, okay? So that, that's just a little bit of, of something I realized with my kids, with the Gen Z, is they oftentimes don't even have their ringers on. They just don't use them. So whatever, anyway, just, just food for thought and to think about. Um, Book of Daniel is where we're going to be at today. And as, as you remember, we're start, we started in Genesis, we're finishing in Revelation. Started in Genesis in September, we're finishing in Revelation in May. And so we're going through Scripture and looking at it from the perspective of God's love story. How does God continue to reach out to us, to heal us, to bring us into a friendship with Him? And so we talked about how the times of the kings of Israel had gotten so corrupt and we talked about all the idol worship that was happening there, and even to the point that there were idols set up in the temple of God. And so the people that were there, that were priests, that were supposed to be teaching people how to love God, they were also participating in these sacrifices, some of them human sacrifices. So they were not, their hearts were not completely given to God at all, and became a terrible place of oppression and injustice and all of that. Just a sad deal when you read that. So the prophets came along, and the prophets are a big chunk of the Old Testament, and said two basic things. You need to repent. God's going to work if you have hearts that are repentant, and you call sin, sin, and you come back to Him. He's going to do great stuff. And if you don't, you're going to be punished, and you're going to be taken into captivity, and it's going to be really rough. And also, by the way, there's a king that's coming someday that's going to be awesome. It's much better than anything you've ever experienced, and just wait for it, because it's going to be out of this world. And those are the things that the prophets talk about uh, in, in various ways, in their own styles. And so we talked about here Je- last week, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet that was there in Jerusalem when the Babylonian ar- armies came and surrounded and destroyed the city. And Jeremiah talks about these things, about all this that, that God is going to do, but someday there's going to be something amazing, there's going to be something beautiful. But what you've got to do right now is humble yourselves Call evil what it is, admit it, cry out to God, and God works when we have that sort of heart. Daniel lives at about the same time as Jeremiah, except that instead of being in Jerusalem, Daniel is one of these captives that is carried off into captivity. So think about it, just what would this look like? I'm going to speak to the the young crowd right here. So Don and and Mike and Marie, okay, I'm going to talk to you guys. I'm kidding. So I'm not part of the young crowd anymore either. But just think about this. If you're a young person right now, and all of a sudden, at the snap of a finger, you are transferred and moved to a place that you didn't speak the language of the people where you live. You couldn't understand a thing they said. And the food is different. Uh, The way they act different. The social mores are different. But maybe most importantly, uh, you've always lived in a place that the God you worshipped and the God that you served, even if your neighbors didn't follow them, him and didn't care about him at all, it was you know you you could you could worship God and it was okay, but all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where people are hostile to the God that you serve. They don't like him at all, and they don't respect him, and they don't care for him. All of that. Just imagine that you, as a young person, are transferred the snap of a finger to Iran, and that's where you're placed. Things change quickly when all of a sudden you can go from being, hey, I'm a follower of God, you may not be, but it's all good, to I don't know that I can follow this God at all without risking my life. I could be executed at any moment for following this God because I know the God that I serve 
is in some ways offensive to the people that I live around. My rights are gone. And that's exactly what happens to Daniel and some people that he ends up becoming friends with. And so their names are in the, in the Jewish names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, when they get to Babylon, as they're carried off from the Babylon, by the Babylonian armies, their names are changed to Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And strangely enough, and part of this is just how Daniel uh, shares the stories, is we remember Daniel by his Jewish name, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Babylonian names. It's just strange, but that's, that's the way we remember that. So, How many of you have ever told a bedtime story to your kids about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? No, but we tell the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And so those are the names that we remember. And these young men, it says, are exiled from their home to a place that is far away, from a place of security, and it says that they are uh, from the royal families, and they're from the tribe of Judah, and they're, they're, they're the upper crust of the Jewish society, and they're moved to a place of service. So instead of being on the top of the food chain, they are now more towards the bottom of the food chain. So they arrive in this, this strange country, this strange place, where the God that they have grown up serving, on some level, is not the God of these people. In fact, these people are hostile towards that God. In fact, these people have just gone and destroyed parts of Judea, and they don't have any respect for this God whatsoever. How can this, this God couldn't save you from our armies? Why on earth should we respect this God or listen to anything he has to say? And this is where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in that sort of a context. And so when we are the minority, when we are not the ones in the places of power, we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to survive these types of faith tests or temptations that are going to be different than anything I have ever experienced before? So in Daniel chapter 1, we see a first big faith test. And what happens is Daniel and these other young men are brought into service so that they can, they were, they were without blemish. They're good-looking guys, okay? And they're brought in because they had aptitude and intelligence and they just looked great. And so what the Babylonians did is they looked around and said, all right, we're going to choose the best of the best and we're going to train them for service in our kingdom. And so what happens, and I'll turn to the book of, uh, book of Daniel. I got busy talking there and did, forgot to turn there myself. So the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and I'll start reading in verse 8. And this is what happens. So the king uh, assigns them uh, some daily rations in order to, to keep them healthy and make them strong and all that. But look at verse 8, what happens here. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine as he asked the chief, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So think about that for just a second. So what's laying on the table there, as Daniel and these other boys are brought in, is here is the best of the best the Babylonians can provide for these young men that are going to grow up to serve as servants in their kingdom, as officials. And just imagine what's going through Daniel's mind as he looks over at all of this food that is laid out there and thinks, oh, wait a minute here. According to our law, according to what God has told us, all this food is unclean. It's been defiled. It's pork. It's all these things that the Jews were forbidden to eat. Just imagine the pressure that Daniel's under at this point in time. Do I make the decision to just do the easy thing and eat all of this that the old law says I, I can't touch? 
Or do I go the other direction and stick my neck out knowing that this very well could mean the end of my life right now? In verse 9 it says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. In other words, wait a minute. You're putting me, my neck on the line here because if you start looking unhealthy, that looks bad on me. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables and eat to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. And so think about what happens here. Is Daniel is in a position where he has to decide, okay, how far am I going to go with God and will I honor God in the things that may seem small at this point in time. Daniel must have really heard the prophets that were speaking. Maybe he heard Jeremiah preach. Maybe he heard others that said, we are being thrown into captivity because we have dishonored God. That's the problem here. Man, what a tough deal. But Daniel somewhere, these other three, get it in their heart that... Boy, me trying to survive hasn't worked this far. Doing whatever we want hasn't worked this far. And so here we are at this giant faith test right here. Are we going to be faithful to God in these small things? It's not like we're bound on idols or anything like that, but do we keep our dietary laws even if it means risking our life for it? And what Daniel and these other three decide at this point in time, and it's likely... Mind you, that they weren't the only Israelites in the room right there. There was others that decided, well, I'm going to eat this. I don't care what you guys do. I'm not sticking my neck out that way. But Daniel, these other boys said, no, if God wants us to honor him, then it matters that we honor him in the very smallest things right now. That's something to think about for us is how do we, do we act different? Do you act different when you're in the assembly here and when you're at work, is your vocabulary different here than it is other places? Now, do we show more patience here and then with our family, patience is off the table and we rage? And you know, Those are things to think about, is that the small things, when nobody, we think nobody else is watching, says worlds about our character. And if we start with the small things and say, I'm going to be faithful with the small things, when nobody else is watching and nobody else knows what's going on, I'm going to be faithful with those things, then what happens is when we get to the big things that are much, much more difficult, we've already made that decision long, long ago when nobody else was watching. If we wait for, well, I'm just going to do what I want with the small things because it really doesn't matter, but when it comes to the big decisions to honor God, I'm going to make those right, we probably won't do it because we won't have the faith built up of courage and discipline and all that that will allow us to make those strong decisions later on. It just doesn't work that way. But you see these boys from the very beginning, they say, okay, it might cost us, but we're going to be faithful even in the small things. When we fast forward to chapter 3, we see something else happen here. And this is the story. Daniel's not even here. Wherever he's at, we don't know. But this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you know that story. And so go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 3. And what happens is Nebuchadnezzar, and he's a character, and God uses some amazing things with Nebuchadnezzar, this great, powerful ruler, 
to bring him to his knees. And this is one of these instances. God uses several situations that ultimately brings him to a place of repentance where he lifts his eyes to decide that he's going to, on some level, submit himself to God. Pretty amazing story you read all the way through uh, Daniel. It would be like the, the President of the United States submitting himself to, I'm going to follow God no matter what happens from here on. You know, just amazing uh, transition, or even more appropriately, you know, head of some Muslim nation coming and saying, hey, I'm switching gods. This is important. This, and this God of, of, of the, the Bible is phenomenal. An amazing story. But what happens here in this particular case is Nebuchadnezzar goes out on this plane. He builds this statue that has a bunch of gold on it, 90 feet tall. You think, you know, massive thing. If you've ever been in a lookout tower, the Forest Service lookout towers, most of those are 50 feet tall, so really big. And Nebuchadnezzar tells the people, gets the officials, like the cream of the crop from the empire, to come together, and they're going to have this, uh, this time of um, morale building and, and a time to make sure everybody's on the same page, and says, here's the deal. When everybody, when, when you hear the music that starts playing, everyone here, all of you great officials of the Babylonian Empire, what you're supposed to do is you're going to bow down to this idol that is right there. In other words, we're going to give our allegiance to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so what happens is they get everybody together and he says, oh, by the way, if you don't obey here, I'm going to throw you in this furnace. We've got this furnace burning over here. And if you don't obey, I'm just going to throw you in there. So your choice, decide what you want to do. What happens is the music starts playing, and some people notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow down to this big image that has been set up there. And of course, there's always someone that's going to tattle in those situations. Wait a minute. Look at what's happening here. That's, that's, they can't be doing that. And they go and they tell Nebuchadnezzar about it. Nebuchadnezzar brings him in, and this is the exchange here in chapter 3, verses 16. He says, all right, here's the deal. You must bow down. So I'm going to give you another shot. I'm a benevolent ruler, right? I'm going to play the music again, and if you bow down, then that's fine, okay? But don't let me catch you disobeying me again. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. And catch this, how they respond to him, because it tells us volumes. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now think about that. Here is the king, the absolute ruler of the area where they live, that is going to throw them in this furnace and says, you better bow down to me. And their response is, we don't have to justify ourselves to you in this. <laughs> Man, can you imagine how that re- makes Nebuchadnezzar feel? Wait a minute, I'm not used to people mouthing off. I'm not used to people telling me that they don't have to defend themselves in front of me. The only way they can do that is because they know whole, ultimately who is in charge of all this. It's not Nebuchadnezzar, it's God. God trumps anything that Nebuchadnezzar tells him. Verse 17, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So in other words, we know that this, Neb- we know this God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship this idol. Think about this faith test that happens here. Now, years ago, these boys have made the decision is, we're going to honor God with the things that we eat because that's important according to the Jewish law. And so when they get to this point later on, they had been through the fire over and over again. 
And Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down and worship this idol. Say, we don't have to justify ourselves here. You know us. You know how this is going to work. God will rescue us. If he doesn't, then it's fine, but we're still not going to do that. So Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, that's fine. No big deal, right? No, this, this is tantrum time here. This is, this is a big leader tantrum time. And what he does is he gets that furnace, he makes it seven times hotter, and he says, watch this, fellas. You're going to love this. And he gets some soldiers, and he, he's going to take them in there. He's, he throws them in, and, and the fire was so hot that some of the soldiers that brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the furnace to throw them in, they died in the process. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in the furnace, and he says, whoa, wait a minute here. How come there's four people walking around in the furnace. There was only three that I threw in there, and one of them looks like he's the son of God's. Terrifies him. Nebuchadnezzar sees something there that's really freaky to him. God is walking around in the furnace with him. And they bring him out. And all the officials at that point in time, they'd been out on this plane, and they'd been bowing down to this idol. And all of a sudden, here they come. And it says they surround this this area with these, these three guys. And they're what on earth happened? They didn't smell like smoke. Not a hair on their face was singed. None of that. And Nebuchadnezzar says, hmm, okay. Uh, and he sends out a proclamation. No one may speak bad about this God ever again. It got his attention and it spooked him. But what it took was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, no, we're not going to do that. Because honoring God is more important than doing what you're asking us to if you're calling us to leave our faith behind. We're not going to do it. Can't do it. Not okay. I remember being a part of a men's group once years and years ago where we read this story. And one of the guys in the group, and I appreciated his honesty. I loved it. He said, "Uh, I would have totally failed that one. I would have totally failed it because what I would have done in my head is I would have said, well, you know, I can either blow all my credibility right now and lose all my influence or I can just bow my knee this one time and then um, I can work throughout my life to try to be a good influence for God because I would, would hold my nose this one time and then be an influence later. And I appreciated it. He was saying it half in jest. But I think there was some real reflection there that I really wonder what I would do if I had the opportunity, or if I was given the choice, go in the fire furnace and and be destroyed if you do not bow down. Bowing down is so easy. It just takes a minute. It just takes a second. But do you see their example here? Because they said, not even that will we do. They knew why they were not back in Israel. They knew why they were in captivity. And they were in captivity because... The Israelites had gone to worshiping these idols and it had destroyed their nation. And these guys were not about to go down the same road and do, we're going to do the same thing that our ancestors did. Something has to change and it changes now with us. And they do something different. Great lessons for us there. Here's another one, another great faith test from the book of Daniel. And see, Daniel is, is an interesting... A study because what Daniel does is Daniel, as a servant, outlasts several kings and even empires because the Babylonian Empire is destroyed by the Medes and Persians uh, that follow here. And so Daniel actually works not only for the Babylonians, but he works for the Medes later on. And an amazing story of, 
of God moving Daniel from one ministry to the next to the next and protecting him through all this time. And by this time, Daniel had quite a reputation uh, for his service. He was very efficient. He was, he was really good at what he did. In fact, if you turn to chapter 6, go ahead and look. We'll start reading in verse 3. Because Darius is the king at this point in time, and he's a Mede by birth. And so what Darius does is he looks around and says, okay, I'm gonna, I've got all these 120 local governors, basically, satraps is what he calls them, and I'm going to appoint three people over all of them. And what happens is he realizes that Daniel's credibility is so high that he's just going to appoint Daniel over the kingdom, like what Pharaoh did with Joseph centuries before. Same sort of thing. Verse 3, it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So Daniel was known working in this context where he's the minority of being so upright and so upstanding in his job that there was nothing that they could do. They couldn't find somebody behind the scenes to say that, um, and this, you know, Daniel's got, he, he's skimming off the top or he's doing this or, or whatever. It reminds me, um, how many of you know who Bob Lovegrove is? Now, Lisa Ward from Great Falls, Bob Lovegrove is her dad. And Bob Lovegrove served as a, a mayor in Missoula for a time. And there's, you know, in that sort of politics, there's people that are slinging mud at him, uh, at people right and left and all of that. And something that happened during the time that he was a mayor, and I appreciate this story, is they, someone broke into his car and looked around for documents and they, they did all sorts of, of snooping around in the background. And they were trying to figure out, does he have a mistress on the side? Does, you know, what does his taxes look like? He's like, oh, here's my taxes. This is what he, he was just transparent and honest. And so what they redu- what they ultimately were reduced to is, is making fun of, in, in any type of public discussion, the music he listened to because they got into his car and basically listened to elevator music. And they're like, seriously, come on. And that was the extent of it, because Bob was a guy that was above board. There was nothing to hide. Similar, this is what, where Daniel's at. And so Daniel's serving in this. So they, they come to him, the king, and they say, Darius, man, Darius, hey, we got something that we should do. Why don't we make it so that everybody in the kingdom has to pray for you for 30 days, and they can't pray to anybody else, just you? Darius says, well, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. So they write it in the Law of the Medes and Persians because this is a society that was law-based. So there's a law there. The kings had limited power. They couldn't just change the law back and forth whenever they wanted to. That was the check and balance of this society. So what happens is Daniel hears about this and check out what he does in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. He got down, he prayed, and he gave thanks. I think it would be hard to give thanks in a situation like that. And notice, now this decree meant that Daniel was forbidden to even pray in his room. But he goes and he does it anyway. We ask the question, why? Because Daniel had had a life of faith behind him at this point in time. Years ago, he decided, I'm not going to eat that meat. God doesn't want me to do that. 
And here he is, many years of success later, saying, well, God has brought me thus far. This is not my first rodeo. And what has always worked before is when things are tough, I just go to my knees and I pray to God. And even though that's what I'm not supposed to do right now, that's what I'm going to do because that's the God I serve. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, asking God for help. They trap him there. And you notice here is that Daniel does not defend himself, does not speak until he gets out of the lion's den. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish the decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human besides being except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? Come on! Rule of law. You've got to stick to your rules here. You've made this king. And so Darius is distraught because he knows, wait a minute, I've just been had. This is not okay. And it says that he spends the rest of the day trying to find loopholes in order to rescue Daniel. Not able to do so. So Daniel is taken there and he's thrown into this den of lions so that they could devour him and finish him off. That's what's supposed to happen. Darius goes back home, and he doesn't uh, participate in any entertainment, no music, nothing. I don't want any of that tonight. And spends the night awake, sick to his stomach. It's, it's a bad deal to make a ruler like that upset. Darius is sick to his stomach. He's, up, he's, he's disgusted that this has happened. He's been played. So what happens, you see, at first light, verse 19, it says in chapter 6, At the first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. See, Daniel has gotten Darius' attention already here because of his example, and he's referring to even, he's a, he's a Mede, he's not an Israelite, the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in, the, in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. I try to think of all the other things that Daniel could have done at that point in time when he was accused. Guilt, he was guilty of breaking the law because he was praying. He could have tried to gather up his stuff, tried to get out, try to run. He could have tried to use his influence to uh, uh, bring some guards around him to protect him. Any number of things that Daniel could have done at that point in time. But we don't have any record that Daniel said anything. And I imagine it looks something like this. As Daniel is brought down, that Darius looks at Daniel, they make eye contact, and Darius knows what's happened. He knows. Daniel doesn't have to say a word. And Daniel's own head and heart saying, God, you've rescued me from all these different times. And if it's your will, you can rescue me now from this den of lions. But if you don't, it's all right. But I'm still going to do what's right no matter what. I'm still going to bow down and pray to you and not to anybody else. And he's thrown down there in the lion's den. I wonder what that looked like. All that night, sitting down there with the lion's mouths that are closed... Now, here, kitty, kitty, let me scratch your head sort of thing. <laughs> no idea what that looked like. 
But he comes out the next day and it says that God rescued him because he trusted in God. That's a trust that isn't built just overnight. But it starts with a small thing saying, I need to do right, right now, because that's what God wants me to do. And that's what matters. I did some thinking and I, I did some research and found some, some different uh, ones of these on, online, some different articles, and so I'll share them with you. So being faithful among the faithless. I know there's, um, uh, there's our world, there's lots of changes that are happening. Uh, our society is becoming more and more secular. It's part of that cycle that happens. You see it in the book of Judges, is that people have revivals, they return to God, and then they start walking away from God, and it goes back full circle. And understand that, that some of us, when we talk about the golden days of our country, the golden age, when things were wonderful and great and all of that, they may have been the golden age for some, but they were not for others. Um, because of you know, trying, if you go back and understand, as I've shared with you, I'm not one that talks about a lot, hey, look at the good old days, how good they are, because Scripture tells us it's not wise to do that. Wherever you're at right now, focus on being faithful where you're at. But if we go back 150 years, we can talk about all the wonderful family values and everything like that that was in this country, unless you were from Africa. Life wasn't good then. It was really bad. And so it, it varies from person to person and family to family, time to time. But as our society does become, at this point in time, more secular, unrepentant, if we as Christians become the minority, then what we're going to find is throughout history, God has had people that worked powerfully in that time by being hard workers, keeping the nose of the grindstone, being a good example, not demanding their own rights, but just being faithful. And it changes the world. Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to heaven and submitted to God because of the example of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were so different than everybody else. Think about these things. When it comes time for you and for me, when we come face to face with trying to decide, am I going to be faithful? Am I going to be, have faith among people around me that may be faithless? Here are some things to think about. First of all, expect those faith tests to come. Okay? And don't think that it's something strange when they happen. Daniel could have looked up to heaven when all this meat was set before him and say, Oh God, why me? Why on earth did you put me in this situation? I don't deserve this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have said, God, why did you put us in this situation where we are supposed to bow down to this idol? Why did you do this to us? They didn't ask those questions. They said, right here, right now, we're being tested. We expect it. And we're just going to be faithful. They may not make sense to us at all. In fact, oftentimes God's tests that happen in life are, are things that don't make sense to us. Do you think Abraham, is, he was called to sacrifice his son, which God didn't let him do that, but he was called to sacrifice Isaac. Do you think that made any sense at all to Abraham? It wasn't a matter of Abraham thinking through and saying, oh, wait a minute here. Uh, well, if I you know, do this or what, you know, I wonder what God's doing here. I wonder, are you going to be faithful or not? That's what Abraham had to decide at that point in time. And so those times that we may face in life are things that don't make sense to us at all. And they often involve our greatest treasures. What is most important to us? What do we do when we lose that? Or it's in danger of being lost. And I wrote down some things here that I was thinking about. What happens if our status, our status and, and our family life, our situations, what happens if 
we think that that is in danger, do we say, well, God's will be done if my reputation is changed? Or do we fight tooth and nail for what we believe we deserve? Or our freedom, you know, that's for us, it's, it's a great thing to have in this country, but that can become something that is an idol as well, right? And that we worship that and we will, oh boy, when that gets, feel like that's being taken away, we go to fight instead of prayer. Something to think about. Our wealth or security, boy, it's uh, easier to follow God when we've got um, not only potatoes but meat beside it on the table. And if that's taken away, do we go to questioning God or do we go deep and say, God, like Job, we talked about a few weeks ago, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My job is to be faithful right now. Or what about our families? And I know this is, I really wrestled with even sharing this because just for myself it was tough to think about. But there's a difference between um, with my family, uh, there's a difference between me loving them and treating them as God wants me to and deciding that they are mine. Okay? Because if uh, Sylvia and I, next month we'll be married 20 years, the, the, the faith and patience that Sylvia has, you know, just amazing. Okay? We're going to celebrate 20 years coming up here pretty soon. But what happens if God takes Sylvia away from me or me from her? I'm not hers. She's not mine. But it's a time God has given us to walk side by side in this life and be blessed. And if I lose Sylvia, does that rock my world? Does my faith leave? I sure hope not. I sure hope I go deep and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, and I wrestle through that. Or if my kids, what if one of my kids is, is taken away? Do I rage at God and blame him or do I say, somehow, somewhere, in all this pain and all this heartache right now, God is working because God gave me my children to train them to be soldiers of God and launch them. And his time frame is his time frame. Will I have the faith and courage to do that or will I rage at God? Do you see what's happening here? Because when we are tested, the things that are closest to us, the decisions we make tell us who is really God. And sometimes God messes with those things to get our attention, to say, go deep. Okay, this is going to be painful, this hurts, but God's working to do great here. Okay? They show us what's really going on inside of our hearts. All right, enough of that. Let's move on. We'll talk about easier stuff, okay? So, thriving in faith tests. You see what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did is they practiced obedience now. Now, sometimes if we have to think about it too long, we have the tendency to justify in any sort of way in order to do whatever we want. And they made the decision when they needed to make a decision now. They're faithful in the small stuff, which we talked about, and they saw idolatry for what it is, sinful and destructive behavior that will tear us apart as people, families, society, whatever. It's bad whenever we turn away from God and we put other things it, our faith in other things is going to be terribly destructive for us. And then remember who's really in charge, which is God, and lean into him and trust him. And you see that from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to explain ourselves to you. <laughs> or Daniel saying, hey, throw me in the lines, Dan. It's all right. It's going to be okay. God's here. 
working, and I will continue to trust in God. I'm going to go right back to praying for him, even praying to him, even though I've been forbidden for doing so. And so what Daniel teaches us are some examples of what do we do, how do we live, when we are surrounded by the faithless. Are we going to just go their direction and let the, the tides, whatever they may be, lead us? Are we going to say, no, as for me and my household right now, I will serve the Lord. That's what I do, no matter what the consequences are, because I'm going to let God deal with the consequences. Man, powerful stuff. That's, that, is, that is deep, rubber meets the road faith right there. How, what are we going to do when it's, the cards are all on the table? Something I didn't talk about with Daniel is that he has visions that talk about the coming of Christ and uh, what's going to happen in world politics during that time. And this is something that he says in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and this may explain some of where Daniel's faith came from. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, or one who looked human. And if you fast forward in Scripture and you read Matthew 25, uh, almost the same words are used. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And he's referring back to Ezekiel and Daniel is what he's doing. He says, I saw this vision, and it looked like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. You don't see scripture, people worshipping angels, but you see them worshipping this Son of Man. His dominion is everlasting. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So I can't help but think that Daniel, as he had seen these visions at different times, was able to look around at the society that he lived in, whether it be Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or Darius or these other kings that he served, and thinks, and think, well, this king's going to go away, or this nation's going to go away, it's going to come and go. But there's something so much better is someday there's a son of man, someone who is person, is going to come and is going to establish a kingdom that will last forever. That's the kingdom I want to be a part of, and I'm going to make decisions that reflect that every day, not what's going on in front of me, but I'm going to look beyond the visible into the invisible, and I'm going to worship this king who lives forever and that's where I'm going to put my trust. It's a good message for us today. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, head to the back. The elders are back there uh, waiting for you and, and willing to walk through life with you, whatever that may be. Let's stand and sing together. God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world that he gave.